Well, good evening, church. It is so good to get to be back, and John and I have been lifelong friends, and it's just so good to be. I, I told someone earlier this evening, I don't feel like a guest anymore. I've been here a lot. I've done Sunday morning and the Friday uh, luncheon, and I've spoken several times to the students, and so I've, in, in some ways, I feel like I'm coming back home. So I have to say uh, a lot has changed since I've last have been here. I'd like to take a moment and uh, introduce my wife to you, but I still haven't met her, and uh, not that much has changed, really. I'm still traveling and speaking, and so, but everybody looked but me, and anyway, all you guys still have hope. Anyway, so it's good to get to be back, and so here's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to, I'm going to read you a story out of, uh, out of uh, the book of Corinthians. If you brought a Bible with you, let me just give you a little heads up on where to turn in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and uh, when we get done here, John and I are going to go speak to the students across the way, so when we leave tonight, when you go out back through these doors, I brought two of my newest books. I'm just going to give you a heads up. This is called Life Verse, and uh, this is, I believe everyone ought to have one verse in their life that, they, that kind of summarizes their life and that becomes what I call a, a life lens, right? It's the verse in which we look at our whole life through that reminds us of the character and the promise of God. So this is on how to read the Bible to find your own life verse, all right? It's a good, good read. And if we have any Warren Wiersbe fans in the house, he wrote an endorsement for it. So if he loved it, you'll love it. And uh, anyway, so that's out there. And then this is a devotional called God is Faithful. This is a page a day on the faithfulness of God. So each page has a verse and a comment about the verse and a prayer. And the reason why it's laid out like that is that if you do those three things every day, that's how you build traction in your devotional life, right? If you read a verse, think about it, pray it through, and you repeat that on a daily basis, that's how you get momentum in moving forward. So that's, th this is a page a day, and it's, very, it's a good, good read. And even if you don't read, you should get it because the cover looks cool, and you can decorate with it. You can lay it on your coffee table and go, look how deep I am. All right, so anyway, and... Uh, Anyway, so anyway, uh, here's what we're going to do tonight. I, I want to talk to us about the second greatest question that any one of us will ever answer after our salvation, right? The first great question is, what am I going to do with Jesus, right? For some of us here tonight, this is the great question, right? What do I do with Jesus? Some of us are at that point in which we're ready to open our life to him and ask him to step out of heaven and step into our heart. And the second great question after that is, what am I supposed to do with my life, right? This is the great question of purpose, Right, and even, I, where are my grandparents at? Grand, grandparents, by show of hands? All right, okay, yeah. Even as grandparents, right, that some of you are, are, have raised grandkids and they're old and they're, they're older and moved off. And still the great question is, what do I do next, right? What's the will of God? What's the great purpose of God for the next season and the next step of my life? As a young adult, man, we may have some college students here, or young singles or young couples. You think, man, what is it that God wants in a crowd this size? There are some of us that are, that are at, at a crossroads in which we need direction. We need to figure out well, which is the will of God. Which way do I go? What, what's his desire for our marriage? What's his desire for my life at this age and at this stage? What do I do next? Right? This is the great question, the question of purpose. And I have to say, I, I've, I've been traveling since I was last here, and I was in uh, uh, Alabama, and I went to uh, Walgreens. You guys have Walgreens over here? Walgreens? Okay, so I went to Walgreens, and um, I uh, had to go get some eye drops. And so I go up to the Walgreens lady, and I said, uh, do you have uh, eye drops? And she says to me, did you want the eye drops for the sensitive eyes? I was like, no, give me the eye drops with the jalapeno juice in it. That'll be fine. How about if I just say 350, and you squirt a big lemon, right, Maya? How that would be, right? 
I have to say, when it comes to this subject, I wish there were eye drops for it. I wish there were will of God eye drops that somehow we could all dispense and we could shoot that over our heart and we had instant clarity about what God wants for us next and where we're supposed to go or what the next business choice or career choice is. I wish there were eye drops, but they're not. And for a lot of people, this whole issue of the will of God is foggy at best because of the way it's been taught in, in so many different ways. I grew up as a Baptist guy. I grew up hearing the will of God taught as a game, right? People would say, you have to go out and find the will of God, which implies that it's hidden, right? You got a good luck, right? Go out there and find the will of God, right? All of a sudden, the will of God becomes some sort of Marco Polo game, right? You're just kind of walking around going, Marco, and waiting for God to go, Polo, right? Marco, and you meet a girl with a polo shirt on, you're like, she must be the will of God for me, and right? I mean, and so it becomes this weird game of where we're look, reading in the circumstances and things that really aren't there, right? Or it becomes this strange game of hot and cold, where we just kind of move through life and we feel like, you know, God, maybe he'll let us, like, what about now? Am I close, God? And God's like, nope, cold. What about now? Nope, freezing, right? And what about now? Warm, right? And, and so we, we spend our life, like, kind of, kind of, you know, lurching through life, not really confident of really what God wants for us, right? And for, at best, for most people, we're guessing at the will of God unless something hits us, unless something out of the ordinary happens. A lot of people feel like they're guessing. And so this idea that the will of God is hidden or that it's something that we have to search around for does one of two things, right? It either causes us to freeze up and we think, well, I, what if I don't find it? What if I find it and I don't like it? What if, you know, what if God asked me to do something I hate, right? And so they kind of get frozen and they don't really do anything. And, other, and the other thing that this does, it, it, it causes people to have fear, right? A lot of people are afraid of the will of God, that it might be something bad or something terrible. And so a lot of people just end up doing nothing. Now, here's the problem with that, right? Those are all historical ideas, but they're not biblical ideas, Right? In the New Testament, you don't see these guys. You don't see the, the disciples and Paul and these guys searching for the will of God. Right? You don't see the disciples like roaming the countryside going, what about now? Are we hot? Are we cold? Are we, uh, what about now? Marco, Polo? Right? Instead, these guys in the New Testament all lived in such a way that they could walk into any circumstance and instantly spot the will of God. It's amazing, right? You don't see these guys like seeking for a weird sign. I, I see this a lot in single adult world about people justify their dating life in weird ways. You know, they're like, it must be the will of God that we date because we have so much in common. They have parents and I have parents. And what do you think God's trying to say, right? Uh, I spoke at a church a couple weeks ago. This lady said, on the way to church, I ran out of gas. What do you think it means? I was like, I think it means you should have filled up on Saturday night, Right? This idea, this creepy idea of the will of God, right, is not a biblical idea. Instead, these guys didn't go out and search for the will of God and try to find it and the hope that they did and, and worry about missing it. Instead, they, they positioned their life in such a way that at any age, at any stage, they could spot what God had for them to do next, right? This is where we have to be. Right? Regardless of our age or stage, regardless of whether you've raised kids and grandkids or you're starting a family or you're deciding on a new job or a new career, we, we can position our life in such a way so that we can spot the heart of God in any circumstance, in any situation. You see it? And so this is what brings us to our text tonight because in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 is not a chapter that most of us would spend a lot of time in because it doesn't contain a lot of heroic verses. It's not like reading Hebrews 11 with a lot of faith famous verses in it. Instead, he, uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16 is about Paul taking up the first Jewish and Gentile offering, 
right? So the, the church in Jerusalem had undergone a famine, right? They were out of food. They were out of resources. So Paul decides he's going to ride to all these churches, these outlining communities around Jerusalem, and take up the first Jewish and Gentile offering and bring the money back to Jerusalem. That's what this chapter is about. Right? If you were reading through the Bible, you'd say, okay, great, something about an offering and sending a gift, and you'd move on. But the reason why this, I think God preserved this letter, especially this portion to get it in the Bible, is because what Paul is doing is that he's writing out on paper how he is knowing what the will of God is. He's, he's showing us how he's figuring it out. Right? We're watching the second most fa famous man in the New Testament figure out how, what the will of God is, right? We see it in this writing. And so as he gives instructions to the Corinthian church and their role to take up this money and to get it to Jerusalem, he's showing us how we track the will of God in our own life. And so if you're a note taker, uh, I'm a point guy because I'm, I'm a bit short attention span, so I'm not sure if I'm officially ADD. I'm uh, ADOS, which is attention deficit. Oh, shiny. And like I could click off at any moment. So I like points and it keeps me on track. So here we go. There uh, there are four points to position ourselves to be able to, to spot the will of God at any given moment in our life. Here we go. Number one, we have to trust in the love of God. We have to trust in the love of God. Now look what he says to this church, right? He's writing to himself and to the church. But look at this. Look at verse 14. Let all that you do be done in love. Right? He's saying let all your choices and all your decisions be done believing that God loves you. Right? This is the beginning point of us knowing and being able to see the will of God for our own life is to believe that he loves us. Now, I, I know in a crowd this size, we've all heard this. So you've heard me, you've heard your pastor, you've heard John, you've heard someone get up and say, God loves you. We're like, that's right. But if we're not careful, we would, it would be easy to think that that just means that he has an affection towards us, right? To, to say that God loves us maybe just means he wants to have us close to him and give us a big heavenly hug, right? Maybe that's what it means. But what, to say that God loves us is driven by some very specific things. If you're taking notes, it means that, A, God is for us. This is what Romans 8 says. Since God is for us, who can be against us? When someone says God loves you, it means that God's for you, that he wants your life to work, that he wants it to, to unfold properly. He wants you to have all the days you're supposed to have and to live out your full, your full purpose. To say that God loves us is not just a feeling that he has, but it's a declaration in which he says that he is for us, right? Not only does it mean that God is for us, but B, it means that he empowers us to live this life. That whatever God asks us to do, he also enables us to do it. It's interesting that in Scripture that for every promise that God gives, right, there's always an enabling to carry out that promise. For every command that God asks of us as sons and daughters of God, there's always an enabling to, to live out that command. In other words, God doesn't ever ask us to do something that he doesn't first empower us to do. You see it? So to say that God loves us means that he's for us and that whatever he's calling us into next, he enables us to do it. But what that does is it dismantles our fear of thinking, well, what if I fail? What if I can't do it? Instead, we say, God loves me. I'm going to let all that I do be done in love, right? It means that he's for us. He empowers us to live and see that he can pull good up out of the middle of bad. That regardless of what life hands us, regardless of who's 
fault it may be, whether it's the corporation's fault or whether it's someone in your family's fault or someone close to you that did something that turned your circumstances upside down and now you're in a place where you didn't plan on being and you don't really want to be, that we serve a God who's able to step into chaos and pull clarity up out of it, that to step into where there's drama and to, and to pull peace up out of it. That God's able to step into places where there's broken and there's badness and there's, and there's fallout and able to make something out of it. It means that as a believer, that there's no one moment that can make you or break you when God's in the midst of it. And when God's in the midst of it, that regardless of how the circumstances may look, that he loves us. Now, if we're going to discover the will of God, we have to get up and believe and to live like we're loved by God. We have to get up and say, I I'm not going to get up and live like I'm afraid of what God has for me next. Or maybe uh, get up and, and, and not really know what God I'm going to get. Am I going to get the angry Old Testament God or the, or the groovy New Testament God, right? A lot of people kind of live with their guard up because they're not really sure where God's going to land. right? Instead, so Paul says, we have to make our decisions believing that God loves me. I'm going to make my decisions about my life and about my career and about my family based on the fact that, God's that he loves me, that he's for me. He empowers me to live this life and that he can pull good up out of the middle of bad and that C, he will get the credit. I mean D, he gets the credit. He gets the credit. Our story become God's story. He gets to step in the middle of it and to rewrite it and to, and, and to turn things around so that it glorifies him. So we have to get up and say, God, today I'm going to live like I'm loved by you. You see it? Those of us that are in here that have lived through some horrific times in our life, I just want to point out the obvious. You're here. You made it. You got up and you drew breath today. You lived another day on the earth. And you know how you made it through all those terrible circumstances and things you thought would never turn around? Because through all of it, the love of God was sustaining you. And even when you couldn't see it, the love of God was covering your circumstances. And so we have to say then, I'm going to live like I'm loved by God. You see it? We have to first trust in the unfailing love of God. Not only that, but number two, big point number two, if you're taking notes or keeping score, we have to train up our life in the pursuit of godliness. We have to train up our life in the pursuit of godliness. And look what he's saying. Now watch this, ready? Now look at this, verse 13. Be on the alert, right? He's giving directions to what this church is going to do in, in order to carry out the will of God. Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith, right? Act like men, not, not gender-wise, but mature, right? Be strong, right? Act like men. Be strong, right? He's calling this church to maturity. Now, I know we got some Sunday school teachers in the house, and you already know this, but if you don't, let me just fill in the blanks for you, right? The Corinthian church was kind of nuts, Right, the Corinthian church was made up of people who loved Jesus, believed that he was their Messiah, but they had come out of weird pagan backgrounds, weird pagan practices and weird religions. And so as a result of their crazy past, there was a lot of drama in the church, right? So there were people inside the church that were leaving their families over the fact there was too much salt in the food and divorcing their wives or the fact that their clothes weren't pressed. Or something. There was just a lot of drama. There were people inside the Corinthian church that had been divorced and remarried as many as 20 and 25 times. Yeah, the Corinthian church made Springer look like focus on the family. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it was ridiculous, right? It was nuts, right? This is the church that before they take the Lord's Supper, they all go out and get wasted, right? They all go out and get drunk, come to church, take, take communion, right? So Paul says, wait a minute. If we're, if we're going to track with the love of God, 
You have to train up your life in the pursuit of godliness, right? This verse is a call for them to align their life with the desires of God. You see it? So we have to first trust the unfailing love of God, but then we also have to train up our life in the pursuit of godliness, right? There's one thing the scripture makes clear is that godliness takes some intentional choices, right? We don't just snap into it. We don't just kind of end up godly. It happens as a result of some intentionality and deliberate choices. And it's interesting that when you, know, when you look at Scripture in terms of the will of God, that there's no places in Scripture that tell you what job you should take, right? There's, there's no Scriptures that said you should take this job or that job or you should wear this color shirt or that color shirt or you should buy a certain color car or a certain brand. They're not there, right? Instead, every place where the phrase the will of God appears in the New Testament it's always attached to the kind of people we're becoming. So if you have a concordance in the back of your Bible or if you have a concordance on your phone, if the paper is too out outdated for you, right? If you get on an online concordance and you type in the phrase, the will of God, there'll be about 13 verses in the New Testament that come up where that phrase, the will of God, is used. And every place where that phrase appears, it's always in relation to the kind of people that we're being turned into, the kind of people that we're becoming, right? If you're taking notes, let me just, let me just give us a couple examples, ready? R Romans 12, 2 says the will of God that we would renew our mind, present our bodies, right? Romans 12, 2 says that we renew our mind, that we may prove what the will of God is, right? In other words, what we give our minds to turns us into somebody, right? That's a verse about the kind of people we're becoming, that to present our bodies as a living sacrifice has a way of impacting our character and who we become, right? Let's do another one, ready? Uh, Ephesians 5, 15 through 17 says the will of God that we be wise and avoid distraction, right? That we may know the will of God, right? Well, you could well see that, man, if you had a lot of things that were competing for your attention, that if you had a lot of distractions, right, whether it was you know, drinking or, you know, over shopping or overeating or whatever it may be, you could well see how that would have a way of making it difficult for us to really be sensitive to the desires of God. But if we submitted those things to him, we said, God, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step away from distractions, all of a sudden that has a way of shaping us into somebody, right? Every place where the phrase the will of God appears is always attached to the kind of people we're becoming. For instance, uh, Colossians uh, 1, 1 9 says that we should be filled with the knowledge of the will of God. In other words, that we should know what God has to say about the details of our life, right? Well, reading what God has to say about how we deal with in-laws and how we deal with parents and how we deal with uh, bosses and how we deal with co-workers, once we know that, that, that impacts us, right? It changes who we are. To be filled with the knowledge of God changes our character. It turns us into somebody, right? That's the point of these verses, that they're all about the, about the kind of people we're becoming, right? Colossians 4.12 says the will of God, that we be fully assured of the will of God, that we would be in a place where we would be confident that as God leads, we would lean on that, that we wouldn't live in some, some land of second guessing and thinking, well, I don't really know, I'm not really sure, but that we'd be fully assured that when we read his word, that his word is truth and we could count on it. Well, you could well see that that has a way of impacting our disposition, the kind of people that we're becoming. You see it? First Thessalonians 4 says, the will of God that we abstain from sexual immorality, right? Because what we do with our bodies and where we allow the desires of our flesh to take us has a way of turning us into somebody. It changes our character. 
And likewise, if we take our drives and our ambitions and our appetites and we submit them to the will of God, it turns us into somebody. It changes us into somebody. It impacts our character. You see it? Let's keep going. Ready? Every one of these could be a little sermon. But 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says it's the will of God that we would give thanks in all things. Right? Well, I mean, you could well see that if much of your life was spent being bitter or cynical or angry or agitated, it would make it difficult for us to be able to spot the will of God, right? Because cynicism, right, and confidence can't live in the same space. So the will of God is that we would learn how to be thankful in the midst of all circumstances. Do you see it? That, it, that has a way of changing our heart. It, it turns us into somebody when we say, you know what, I, I'm going to learn how to be grateful. I, I, I didn't, I'm not for everything I've been through. I would have voted against it if I could have known beforehand. But I'm at least going to be thankful that God brought me through it. And in the seasons of my life where it looks like there wasn't a way, that God made a way. And how many people are thankful for that? That God makes a way where it looks like there is no way. And we say, God, I thank you that you kept me from things and you brought me through things. Right, well, let's keep going. Look at this. 1 Peter 2, 11 through 15 says, It's the will of God that we would suffer, uh, uh, that we would suffer even when we're done wrong, that we would suffer according to his will. Right? The Bible says that we bear up under suffering and persecution, that this finds favor with God. I mean, you can see how this would impact your disposition, how it changes who we are. 1 Peter 2, 11 through 15 says uh, it's the will of God that we honor authority, right? Well, how we treat bosses and people that are over us, right, whether they're managers or, you know, CEOs, how we treat the physical leadership in our life impacts whether we can follow the invisible leadership of Jesus, right? I mean, if we spend our whole life going to the people around us, you can't tell me what to do, I'm going to do my own thing, it'd be real difficult to follow the leadership of Jesus, right? But honoring authority has a way of impacting our character. It has a way of turning us into somebody. You see it? This is how it works. Right? The Bible says it's the will of God that every person would come to know Jesus. Right? That the will of God is that every person would have an encounter with Jesus. That for every person in this room, that the will of God is that you would come to know the presence and the peace of the Lord Jesus living within you. And that's really where your destiny begins. Right? Apart from Jesus, we're just kind of floating through life and hoping for the best. But for an individual, when they come to that point and say, I fully surrender my life to you, and Jesus steps out of heaven and steps into our heart, our spiritual life, that spiritual dimension of our life comes alive. And it changes us. It turns us into somebody. The Bible says that we've been taken out of darkness and brought into light, that we've been declared to be sons and daughters of God. That impacts our life. It turns us into somebody. Now, let me tell you why this matters, right? I mean, if you, if you took notes even just a little bit, it would be easy for you to go, well, you just gave me a list of moral behaviors. You just told me, you know, not to drink or sleep around and to honor my boss and to, you know, suffer well when I'm persecuted. And you're right. It is a list of moral behaviors. But you know why all these, all these verses are found throughout the epistles? These guys were all pastoring congregations that they knew if they could get their people to align their life in the pursuit of godliness, those people had a better chance of being able to spot the will of God in their daily life. You see it? 
It's not, it appears to be just a list of moral behaviors, but what it really does is that it heightens our sensitivity to the desires of God. Someone has put their life on that path, man, they're sent the, and lived that way. They've trained their life up in thinking in a godly way and ordering their desires in a godly way and watching over their behaviors in a godly way. It heightens their sensitivity to the desires of God. It makes us someone that God can trust, right? And it also puts us in a place where God lets us make choices. This is one of the privileges of godliness. Now, let me just take a little survey. By show of hands this evening, how, how many people have been to the grocery store in the last week or two? Anybody gone to the grocery store? Okay, all right. How many people, when you go to the grocery store, you use a shopping cart, like a, with the wheels? All right. How many of you have ever had the experience when you go to the grocery store and you get the cart and it looks normal till you start to push it? Right? And it looks like, and then you start to push it, and it always has that one bad wheel, and it just goes in a circle like that. You think, I'm never going to get my grocery items. I can't even get down the aisle. And you spend the whole time fighting it down the aisle, and you think, where are all the good carts? Have you ever wondered that? Where are all the good carts? I'll tell you where they are. The homeless people have them. And uh, you think about it. You never see a homeless person with a bad cart, right? They're pushing it down the road, no problem, right? Because they need it, right? It, it's part of their survival, right? Well, listen. It's the same way with the condition of our life, right? That our life has to be aligned in the pursuit of godliness. If not, man, we're always going to be battling against things that pull us away. That for some of us here tonight, we've got a bad wheel on our life. That every time we try to push our, our life to the, towards the will of God, we've got something that competes for our attention and pulls us away from it and keeps us out of alignment. And every time we make a promise, I'm going to do it different, I'm going to try harder, we got some attitude or some ambition or some appetite in us that keeps pulling us away and we keep spending our time fighting our own life to get it back where it needs to be. And this is Paul's call is that we would align our life to get all the wheels facing the same direction to say, God, I'm going to bring my life up under your government and pursue godliness. Because when we pursue godliness, it heightens our sensitivity to the desires of God. Now, if you're taking notes, let me make this simple. I told you I was short attention span, so let me just make it simple. Ready? The will of God in Scripture, you ready? Just write this down. It's always who before do. That's it. That's, I took eight minutes to say that. That's, what I'm, that's my point, right? That the will of God in Scripture is always who we're becoming before it is ever about what we do. Right? Before it's ever about the job, it is... What kind of path am I on? If I stay on the path that I'm on in terms of my spiritual growth, what kind of person will I be a year or two years from now? If I keep doing the same things I've been doing in my prayer life, in my scripture reading, in my habits, where will I be? Am I, will I still be fighting myself and still be battling desires and distractions? Or have I pointed my life and aligned my life in the pursuit of godliness? The will of God is always who before do. The who always become, comes before the do. Who we are in Jesus always comes first. That's the will of God. And once we know our identity and trained our life in the pursuit of godliness, that leads us to what we're supposed to do. See how practically this is how Paul lived, right? And number three, here we go. Number three, we have to think about God in our decisions. I know you're thinking, well, thank you, Dr. Insight, right? Thank you for telling the obvious. But this is what Paul's doing, right? He's factoring in, right, God. Well, this is what we have to do. We have to, we have to, as we make decisions in our daily life, we have to factor in the help and the presence of God. Now, I'm, I'm going to read some verses to you tonight. I'm, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do in advance, all right? I'm going to read these verses in 1 Corinthians 16, uh, verses 3 through 9, and I'm going to amplify them, right? So I'm going to read a verse, and I'm going to amplify it so you can hear what 
is going on. Now, this is Paul, right? This is, this is the guy who wrote Romans, right? This is the, the, the theological center of the New Testament is Romans. This is the guy who wrote it, all right? And I'm just going to read these verses and just tell me if you don't see how definite and concise and how, how determined Paul is, right? Here, here we go, here we go. And he's talking about getting the money to Jerusalem. Got it? Verse 3. And when I arrive, whenever I get there, when I arrive, whoever you may approve, whoever shows up, all right? Hey, whenever I get there, whoever shows up, let's keep going. I will send with them the letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem if it is fitting. Hey, whenever I get there, whoever shows up, I probably won't know them, but I'm going to give them the money and I'm going to send them on their way if it works out. Good luck with that. All right, let's keep going. If it is fitting for me to go also, they will go with me. Hey, whenever I get there, whoever shows up, I probably won't know who they are, and I'm not really sure where I'm going to get there, but when the two of us meet, whenever these people I don't know show up and I get there, whenever that happens to be, I'm going to give them the letters and the gift to carry to Jerusalem, and I might go with them, or they might go with me. All right, let's keep going. All right, all right. So, but I will come to you after I go through Macedonia, for I am going through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you. Hey, whenever I get there, Whoever you approve, whoever, they sh whoever shows up and whoever they are, I'm going to give them the money. And I might go with them and they might go with me. But if I don't go with them, they're going to go with me. And if I go, then I'm not going to go where they're going to go. I'm going to go to Macedonia. Let me keep reading, all right? Let me keep reading. You're starting to get the rhythm, all right? I'm going to go to Macedonia. going through, And perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter, <laughs> right? Hey, whenever I get there, whoever shows up, whoever they are, I'm going to give them the money. I might go with them. They might go with me. If I don't go with them, they're going to go with me. I'm going to go to Macedonia. And when I get there, I'm going to stay in Macedonia somewhere between three days and the winter. All right, let me keep going, all right? So that you may send me on my way wherever I may go. Hey, after I get, show up and they, I meet these people wherever they are and they take the money or they don't take the money and they go with me and if I don't go with them, I'm going to go to Macedonia somewhere between three days and three months and then when I leave Macedonia, I'm definitely going in one of the four directions and it's either going to be north or south or east or west and they'll send me on to wherever I may go, all right? Now look at this. For I do not wish to see you just now in passing for I hope to remain you, with, with you for some time if the Lord permits. Hey, whenever I get there, whoever shows up, and if they don't go with me, I'm going to go with them. I'll go to Macedonia for three days or three months, and when I leave, I'm going to go somewhere, and then when I see you, it might work out. This guy's plans, at best, are sketchy. This is how we all talk. Every one of you guys have got kids or grandkids. Every one of your kids talk just like, what are you going to do this week? I don't know. Might go to the movies, might go to the mall. Well, who's going to go with you? I don't know. A few of us or a lot of us or no one. How long are you going to be there? I don't know. We might be there just for a couple hours, or we might be there the whole night. I don't really. This is how we all talk. This is the, the reason why this made it into Scripture. This is Paul, right? This is Paul. We all want to think that somehow he had this supernatural, like, where God is preordained that I take two steps forward, and then I go two steps right, and I'm following this path. And Paul's going, I might do this. I might do that. I might not. I don't really know. You know what Paul's doing? He's leaving enough margin for God to get into the circumstances to direct him. He's saying, I know the money's going to get there. I don't really know how. Right? So I'm going to leave enough space in my life so that God can enter into my circumstances and direct me. And it may, he might direct me this way or he might direct me this way. The steps aren't preordained, but the task is. You see it? And the problem with some people Yes, they got their life so scheduled that they can't be led by God. 
they got it all planned out, right? I'm going to do this, and by the time I'm 30, I'm going to do this, and when I'm 40, we're going to be here, and then we'll have the kids, and they're graduated, and we got it all worked out, and there's no margin for God to get into our life to direct us or to move us around. So you know what Paul's doing? He's factoring in the work of God in his circumstance. He's thinking about God as he's making decisions, and he's saying, I'm going to leave it open. I've got enough space in my life where God can get in and lead me. Do you have enough space? Do you got enough space in your life where God could step into your life and say, I'm going to do a new thing, and you could do it? Some of us, man, we got, we're under so much debt, we, we couldn't get up and go anywhere. Some of us, man, we're, we're so tied to our own circumstances that we, and there's, there's no space. I wonder if maybe we could just loosen our grip and just say, God, I, I, I'm willing to be led. This means that there could be more than one job you could take that could be the will of God. This means there could be more than one place that you could live that could be the will of God because the privilege of godliness is that God lets his kids make choices. And so he says, you know, you're getting ready to retire. Where do you want to live? You want to live in a cold climate or a hot climate, right? You want to live in a big city or out in the middle of nowhere? And for someone who's put their life on a path of godliness, God gives them the latitude and the freedom to choose. And in return, we say, God, I'm going to let you direct me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to free my schedule up and free my, 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 my ways up so that you can get in and move me around. You see it? He's factoring in the work of the Lord. And then finally, number four, we have to take hold. Take hold of the will of God. Paul got that money to Jerusalem. And it didn't happen the way he thought it was going to happen, but it happened, right? And the point is, at once he knew that was the will of God, he took hold of it, right? And he said, when I get the letters to get that gift to Jerusalem, right? It's definite. It's not maybe. The circumstances were maybe. All this other stuff was kind of up in the air. But the actual call of God that was on his life, he was like, I'm going to get that money to Jerusalem, and the church is going to survive. There was a moment where he had to take hold of it. You know, I think this is probably the most important part of the talk is because a lot of, I've heard a lot of people in my lifetime, I'm a church guy, say, well, you know, if it's the will of God, it'll happen. Well, if it's the will of God, it'll happen. Well, that's not true. Because we can still say no. Right? We can say, we all have, the, God's given us the, our own power to choose to say, I don't want to do that. I've met a number of people in my lifetime who told me they were called in the ministry, but they're like, yeah, but you know, in college, and I got married, and I had kids, and whatever. All It's just a creative way of saying, you know what I did? I just said no to the will of God. And they're in their 40s and still running from the call. Some of us may be here tonight, or you may have friends that you know what, that they've heard the gospel and heard the plan of Jesus and the offer of Jesus' eternal life, and for whatever reason, they just said no. It is the will of God that every person be saved, but some people push back at that. We're we're not fatalists. As Christians, we don't just throw our circumstances to the wind and hope that they magically spin together, right? If it's the will of God, it'll happen. That's not true. Because we can say no. And we can also say yes. We can also say, God, I yield the, the control of my life to you. I open up my life and and yield my will to let you to lead and to guide me and direct me. I'm going to trust you with my circumstances. I'm going to trust you with my life. But I know that you want us here. I know that this is the direction we're going to lead, that you're going to lead us. So I'm going to take hold of it, and I'm going to say yes. So the question of the Eden is, where do you need to say yes to the Lord? 
Has he called you to join the church? He called you to serve in a ministry? You've been running from it? Has he asked you to open your life to him and let him be the savior and the leader and the Lord of your life? And you just, for whatever reason, you're like, I'm not spiritual enough and I'm not religious. That's not my deal. And you've always kind of had a way of pushing it out. Maybe tonight you could turn your no into a yes. Maybe you could just say, God, I, I want to align my life with your purpose. I want to be the person you created me to be. I want to put my life on this path, and I want to surrender my life fully to you and walk with you and love you the rest of my days. I wonder if we got some grandparents in the house. Maybe you're at a crossroads, and you just need to say, God, I, I don't, it might happen. This might happen. It might not. I might go here. But the bottom line is I'm surrendered and submitted to your will and to your direction of my life. All right, let's pray. Let's pray. Let's pray. If you've never given your life to Christ, in just a minute, someone's going to talk to you and tell you how to do that. The best thing you can do tonight is to call on him and ask him to step out of heaven, to step into your heart, and then let someone talk you through that decision. If you've got an error in your life or you've been running from the Lord, and maybe you're ready to say yes to him and say, I just want to tell God I'm ready to do it his way, would you just say yes to him? And let someone know tonight that you said, man, my life has been out of alignment. But I want to say yes to you, to who you want me to be and where you want to lead me. God, I'm in. And in your name we pray. Amen.